0: All right, well, let's open the word of prayer and then we'll dig into the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And Lord, I just thank you for tonight's chapter. I thank you for just the way that you minister to our hearts through your word. So, Lord, we ask, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. So to catch you up, because we haven't been in 2 Samuel for a while, uh, a couple weeks ago I taught uh, Daniel chapter 3, uh, making a stand for the world, the Lord when the whole world's not, and uh, it was appropriate with what's going on in the world right now. So catch you up, we've seen that David had become the king of Israel, and David was ruling as the king. Even though he was anointed as king as a teenage boy, he had finally become king. He'd been chased and harassed by Saul for a decade. Finally, Saul dies, David takes over as king. But then we saw David, while he was a mighty warrior, he was also a flawed man. And we know that he was a man whose greatest struggles were within his own family. We saw him commit a terrible sin with Bathsheba and have her husband Uriah put to death. And the sad part is that it all took place because David had stopped going out to war. You know, he woke up in the, in the afternoon. He'd been sleeping all day when everybody, he's, the king is supposed to lead his men into battle. So he'd become complacent. You know, that can happen to us. We can become complacent in our walk with the Lord. We can cease to be as humble, broken, and desperate as we once were. We can have our, our devotional life starts going away. We're not spending as much time in the Word of God. And so it's important that we continue to have that passion for God. So because of what he had done, the fallout of his sin was that first his oldest son Abner had uh, raped his daughter. Then Absalom kills Abner. Abner. And then then Absalom, who has lost all respect for his father, had run for his life. After some time, he comes back and he overthrows his father. We saw several weeks back that King David did not want to fight his own son in Jerusalem, so he fled. And I understand that as a father, even if your son is is doing ungodly things, and even if he's attacking you and he's out of line, as a father, the last thing you want to do is get into a, a fight to the death with your own son. So David flees. But once he flees, he sees that many of his mighty men come with him. He's running for his life. We saw him being helped along the way. And then Absalom, we know, got some advice to wait. And uh, as he waited and he led the battle, we saw a couple weeks ago that Absalom not only lost the battle, but he lost his life. Now David had told his generals not to kill his son. And sadly, they killed him anyway. Uh, it was Joab that had him put to death. They all came together and they killed him. So the word came to David. David was mourning over his son. He's weeping, even though now he's, he can go back to being the king. We're going to see there's going to be some steps to make that happen tonight. But he's got his kingdom back and he's won a mighty victory, but he's lost his son. And that was the focus as we ended the last chapter. So now as we pick up tonight, I titled the message, Serving the King of Kings. Serving the King of Kings. How do we do that? How do we truly and fully serve the King of Kings, our Savior, Jesus Christ? We're going to see some analogies between King David and Jesus Christ in tonight's text. First of all, our feelings must never be our master. If we're truly to follow the Lord, we cannot be moved by feelings. We must be moved by faith and moved by the word of God. Our feelings will lie to us often. And we'll see that King David, in the beginning of tonight's chapter, he's so overwhelmed by his feelings that he's losing sight of the calling God has placed upon his life, and he's not doing a good job as a king. Secondly, the Lord uh, initiates. It is up to us to respond. We're going to see King David desire to go back to being king, but he's not going to force his way. Now that Absalom is dead, the throne is empty. It makes sense that David would go back because he is the rightful king. He has just defeated the one trying to overthrow him. But we're going to see that even though David is the rightful king, he will not take the throne again until they invite him. And the same is true in our relationship with the Lord. Jesus is the king of kings, but he will not force himself on you. He initiates, he draws you, he brings conviction by the power of the Holy Spirit, he pours out his love on you, but now you must respond. And even as believers, there's times when we get away from the Lord yet again, when we get so caught up in our careers or cha- our politics or whatever we're chasing after that we get our eyes off the Lord. You know, behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? So we need to invite the Lord back into our lives. Number three, having a true heart of repentance. We're going to see David interact with three different men. If you were here a few weeks ago, Shimei. you got to remember that guy, or Shimei, Shimei. either way, Shimei was the guy that when David was running for his life, he ran alongside and cussed at him and threw rocks at him. And he was acting like an absolute idiot. And we saw that Abishai, one of the kings, one of the, you know, the main guys, one of the main leaders of David's army, wanted to kill him. And David said, no. He said, i got other problems, basically. i got my own son who wants to kill me. I'm not going to worry about this guy you know, cussing at me and throwing rocks at me. Well, uh, David wins the battle. That's a problem for Shimei. And Shimei is going to have an interaction tonight with David. And what we're going to see, whether he's sincere or not, certainly his actions would show us a heart of repentance. How do we walk with the king of kings? We must have a heart of repentance. Number two, or number four here on this list, uh, Mephibosheth. You remember Mephibosheth, he is the son of King Saul. Mephibosheth is somebody that David had a burden for. He's, he's the grandson, actually. And Jonathan is, is, a, is a, David's dearest friend. And he had promised before Jonathan died that he would bless his family. Well, Mephibosheth, when he finds out out who he is, he's been crippled. Uh, David invites him into his family. And David has him eating at his table. But when David ran for his life, Mephibosheth did not follow. We saw that there was another guy, we'll see him tonight, Ziba, who came. And he was supposed to be the guy that helps Mephibosheth. And he told lies about him, I believe. He was saying, Mephibosheth has abandoned you, David. Well, we're going to see him see Mephibosheth. There's some divine appointments here. So Shimei, who had cursed at David, and now Mephibosheth, who David believes has abandoned him, having only heard half the story. And then finally, Barzaliah. Now Barzaliah, if you were here again, he was a man that when David was running for his life, he was a very wealthy man, and he met David in the desert and brought him food for all of his people. He brought him donkeys, he brought him things that he would need, and he just blessed him. So David's going to run into a guy who cursed him, a guy who thinks abandoned him and another guy who blessed him. And we're going to see things about how our relationship with the king of kings should be based on these three men. So first of all, Shimei, having a heart of true repentance. How do we have that? Being humble, honoring the king, being honest about your sins, making no excuses. Uh, I'll be honest with you, in my own life when I have to confront maybe my children or somebody I have authority over in my life, and you confront them about their sin and then they make excuses. And, I, and I'm nobody, but, you know, we don't want to make excuses to God. Amen. And so there needs to be that brokenness before the Lord. We need to come with humility and honor him and be honest about our sin. But it's not enough just to say we're sorry. We need to put our faith in action. We'll see Shimei do that tonight. Secondly, seeking first the kingdom of God. Mephibosheth is going to meet with David. I always tell you what I'm going to tell you, then I'll tell you, then I'll tell you what I told you, right? So I'm telling you what I was going to tell you, so you're already going to hear it. Then you're going to hear it again in more detail. Can I get an amen? All right. So Mephibosheth is going to see David, and he's going to come to David broken. And he's been in mourning because he was concerned that David was off, the, was no longer the king and was running for his life, and he was fearful that he would be, that he would be killed. So as Mephibosheth comes to David, he doesn't come asking for all his stuff back. See, David had given everything that belonged to Mephibosheth to Ziba, this man who had come and said that, uh, that he had abandoned him. And Mephibosheth didn't come and say, can I have my stuff back? He was just rejoicing that David was alive. All he was concerned about was that David be back on the throne. And you know what? That should be our heart. Seeking first the kingdom of God. We shouldn't be coming to God asking for stuff. Can I get an amen? Now, we don't come to God. Now, again, there's times we can pray, Hey, Lord, you know, I need a job. Pray for me. Hey, I mean, show me, Lord. Give me direction. Help me. That's one thing. But coming to the Lord always just asking for stuff. Guys, it should be enough just to be in His presence. It should be enough just to know that we've been adopted into his family. It should be enough that we're born again, new creations in Christ, seeking first the kingdom of God. Point number five there. Barzaliah, when he sees David has won the battle and he's going to meet him on his way back to Jerusalem, Barzaliah is going to greet him. When he comes out to greet him, David wants to reward him because he blessed David when David was in trouble and now that David is headed back to Jerusalem... He wants to take Barzaliah with him. And what I love about Barzaliah is he is a man who always gives God the glory, what we've seen so far. He uses God's resources for God's glory, and he focuses on blessing others, not himself. So when David is hurting, he comes and blesses him. He says, this is God's resources, that's God's man, I'm going to bless him. And now that David has won the battle, and he's heading back to Jerusalem, and he offers to take Barzaliah with them, Barzaliah, it's okay. You know, take my son instead. Because this is a man who's not looking to be blessed himself, but to bless others. We've talked about this, Jesus, others, yourself. It's a source of true joy. And then finally, he must be the king all the time, not just when it's convenient. We're going to see at the end of the chapter that that all the tribes of Israel, most of whom were against David, are now fighting over who David really belongs to. Now he belongs to our tribe. Well, he belongs to our tribe. He belongs to our tribe. It's amazing how days before they were seeking to kill him, and now they want to claim him. And it's so tragic how that's what we can do in our relationship with the Lord sometimes. We, we become fair-weather Christians. Well, we're, we're on the outs with God at one point, and at another point when we need him, then we cry out to him. And you know what? Sometimes God does the same thing that happened in tonight's chapter. See, Absalom had become their king, And God removed Absalom, so they had nobody else left to turn to but David. You know, sometimes in our own life, we will make other things a God to us. May it be our career, a hobby, the pursuit of wealth, a relationship, whatever it might be. And when we make that more important than God, don't be surprised if God doesn't take it away sometime. And the reason for that is because He loves you enough to take away the things that are taking you away from Him. Because he is a gracious God. So let's begin there, looking at serving the King of Kings. First of all, that our feelings must not be our master. So we're picking up. David's been weeping over the fact that his son has died. He's already had three sons die that we know of the baby that Bathsheba gave birth to, his son Abner, and now Absalom. That's a lot of dying. And we know some of that is consequences. Because he had been told by the prophet Nathan that the sword will never depart from your house because of what you have done. So there in verse 1 it says, And Joab was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom, so that the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard it and said that day, The king is grieved for his son. Verse 3. And the people stole back into the city that, that day as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. David had been chased out of Jerusalem by his own son. Absalom had taken the throne from David, was seeking to kill David. Absalom and his army attacked David's army, and David's mighty men, his soldiers, won the battle. They saved David and his family. They're restoring the kingdom to him. And instead of thanking them, encouraging them, and being their king, He's off in mourning. Now, there is a time for us to mourn. The Bible tells us that. But David has been mourning for an extended period of time. To excess. And I want to say this. I want to say this with all compassion. I know people who've had a tragic loss 15 years ago. And their lives are still in check. They still have... It's almost like they died too. Now I'm not saying... Look. If a child dies, a spouse dies, I'm not making light of that at all. But the reason that we continue to mourn is because we lose sight of the fact, by the way, heaven's better. Can I get an amen? And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we grieve, but not as those without hope. And what's happening is David is grieving like someone who doesn't know God. David is grieving like someone who doesn't believe that there's an afterlife. And see, that's the problem here. And too often in the lives of Christians, I get it. And I'm not, and I, please, please know that I'm not uh, trying to be harsh on somebody who's gone through a great trial. That's not my heart at all. But what I would say is there comes a time to step up and let the Lord continue to use your life. I guarantee you, the person who died, if they knew the Lord they're in heaven, they would want you to be sold out for Jesus until you get there. Amen? We have the promise of eternal life. And, and there are people that just mourn forever and ever and ever. Guys, we have hope. And our hope is in the Lord. I have a lot of people I love that are in heaven. But you know what? I want to finish strong while I'm here. I want God to use me for His kingdom and for His glory. David has checked out. He's the king. They just won the battle. There should be a time of rejoicing. And I get it. Your son has died. But he continues to weep to the point to where he is alienating his own army. His own army, these guys who were with him in the caves, these guys who went with David for a decade when he was on the run, these guys who've been with David through thick and thin are about to give up on him. We'll see in a few verses. They're about to just leave. Why? Because they laid down their lives to save David. They laid down their lives to save his family. They laid down their lives to bring David back to the throne. And instead of being thankful for it, David's off hiding somewhere, weeping and mourning over and over and over and over. You know, Absalom hated David, but David still loved him. I get that. I get that. Having a prodigal son or someone who's far away from the Lord, you don't love him less. I think sometimes you almost love him more. We've got to understand that Absalom was in total rebellion, and David is more concerned about the man trying to kill the rest of his family, the man who had slept with all the concubines to mock David, the man who only wanted David dead, and he's turning his back on the ones who were laying down the li- their lives to save him. And it's going to cause division with David and his people. David's focus on the death of his son to the point that he's missing out on God's blessings. You know, if Satan can't take you to hell, he wants to render you ineffective for the kingdom of God. If he can use your mourning to have you sit on the sideline for the next 40 years and do nothing for the kingdom of God, if he can use that to cause you to be bitter against the Lord, he will. Isn't it good to know that God's in control? Nobody dies too soon. We all die right on time. Amen? And God is faithful. And we need to have an eternal perspective. I just want, you know, the people that have died, I, you know, they've just moved, they're on vacation in a much better place, I'm going to see them soon. Can I get an amen? And we need to have that perspective. Don't be rendered ineffective for the kingdom of God. So David had turned a joyous victory celebration to a time of excessive mourning. And as Christians, again, we grieve, but not as those without hope. And excessive mourning can consume and even destroy somebody's life. David's mourning turned the soldier's from a joyful celebration for winning the battle into a time of guilt and even shame for what had been done uh, to their kingdom and for their king. Now notice what it says here, verse 4. But the king covered his face, and the king cried out with a loud voice, Oh, my son Absalom! Oh, Absalom, my son! My son! Now, he covers his face, and he's shouting, which means he can't see anybody else, and he can't hear anybody else, And his only focus is on himself. I I hate to be harsh, but David's being selfish. David's thinking only of himself. He's not thinking about the kingdom that God had called him to serve. God had filled him with the Holy Spirit. And here's the reality. When God calls you to lead, it isn't about you. Can I get an amen? The best leaders in the kingdom of God are the biggest servants. And it can't be about us. It's about the Lord. It's about His kingdom. It's about Him being glorified. It's not about us. David is having a pity party. David is making it about himself. David has turned his back on those he's called to minister to, the guys who've laid down their lives so that he might continue to be king. While grieving for a child who has died, even one who sought to kill you is understandable. It must never cause us to lose sight of the love, grace, and mercy of God, it must never cause us to lose our eternal perspective. And in David's case, his son was also a deadly enemy of the people and his kingdom. Again, while we're not called to be emotionless robots, that's another extreme. Let me, let me. When the when the word of God, it's almost always right in the middle. You've always got people on the extremes. Uh, somebody near to me went through a divorce, and his pastor, who comes from one of those rigid emotionless churches just told them to get a grip, get a grip, get over it, man, get a grip. God's sovereign. She left. Get over it. Wow. Okay. That's the grace of God. That's the love of God. That's the mercy of God. Then you have people on the other extreme that everything is based on emotion. Well, I feel, I just feel, I just feel, I just feel Uh, the Mormons are Mormons because they have a burning in their bosom. Your feelings can lie to you. Can I get an amen? So don't put your faith in your feelings. And we're not supposed to be, uh, feelingless robots, but there's somewhere in the middle. You know, Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. We do grieve, but not as those without hope. We grieve in a different way. Yes, we do weep. But we also know that God is still God, and He's still on the throne, and He's still in control. He's a faithful God. Our emotions must never take precedence over the truth. See, what's happened here with David is, he's so focused on what happened to... Absalom, that he's forgotten that Absalom brought this on himself. Absalom murdered Abner. Absalom has become uh, the uh, an enemy of God because the enemy of God's king. And sadly, we saw. And again, he mourns. That's understandable. But David's mourning blinded him to what he was doing to everyone else. See, he can't do anything about Absalom. Absalom's already dead. But he's got thousands and thousands and thousands of people he's supposed to lead. And he's so focused on the loss of one that he's forsaking the rest and that can happen to all of us again i i, I know people where they've had a, a, a child die it's devastating and i know some where they have four or five more other kids and they're so mourning for this one that the, it's almost like the other ones died too and guys please i'm not making light of it i'm not making it less than it is but god knows and god's faithful and god's not done with you as long as you're still here And sadly, David is falling into that same trap. Again, feelings must never be our master. Our grief must not cause us to lose hope or to forget God's promises or the precious people that are still here. When someone dies, there's still a ministry that's here. The people that are here need you. The people that are here need you to minister to them. We can't allow the death of one to cause us to abandon everyone else. And that's exactly what David has done. Here's what David's doing. He's only thinking about what he about what he's lost, but he's forgotten about what he has. He's thinking about the son that he lost, but he's forgotten about all that God has done for him and what God has called him to and how God has blessed him and how God has called him to be the king of the most the most influential man on the planet at that time. And he gets his eyes off the Lord. Now, watch what happens. Praise God. Now, Joab is an enigma. Sometimes this guy's just messing up hard, and other times he does stuff, and you go, actually, that was pretty good. So here he is. He's going to do something that's pretty good. Look what happens in verse 5 and 6. It says there in verse 5, Then Joab came into the house of the king and said, Today you've disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives, the lives of your concubines, and that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither the princes nor servants. For today I perceive perceived that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. Praise God for someone who loves you enough to stab you in the front. Amen? Who loves you enough to come and tell you, Bro, look, David, look at me, David, David. The way you're acting, you're acting like if the great the enemy who was trying to kill you, the one who had taken away your throne, yes, he was your son... If he had lived and all your your family had died and everybody else in the kingdom had died, you're acting that you you would have preferred that to what happened. And he's going to basically give David a gut check and tell him he needs to knock it off. It's time for you to wake up and move past this. Job spoke strongly to the king. And he showed David that he had insulted his men, that his men were ready to leave him. David was mourning his son, But David was still the king, and he needed to do what was right by his people. David should again have met his soldiers when they returned to battle. They've been brave. They've been loyal. They were happy that they had won the battle. David should have praised them. But when they saw David's reaction, they felt guilty about Absalom, and they felt like they were worth nothing to David. And there's few things you can do uh, more to destroy somebody than to make them feel like they're of no value. We're to love our enemies. That's the Bible tells us. But we're absolutely not to hate our friends. Can I get an amen? And that's what David's doing right here. He's so focused on the enemy. Now again, love your enemies. But you know what? You know your first ministry is? Your family. Amen? You can't be so focused on trying to reach the homeless downtown that you ignore your wife. Can I get an amen? Now again, that's valid. But it begins at home. It begins with your wife, with your children, with your family, with your grandchildren, with the people in your sphere of influence. Minister to them. And don't allow chasing after ministry to somebody else to take away from your calling to minister to them as well. Sometimes we neglect our families because we're too busy ministering to other people, and that's not what God's called us to do. Verse 7, now watch what he says. He's given David some... He's, just, he's given him some direction. And David needs it. Look at verse 7. Now therefore, arise, go out, speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night, and there will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. Hey David, you better get right with your guys or they're leaving. Again, the guys who were with you in the caves, the guys who spent a decade running from Saul with you, the guys who have laid down their lives for you, You've got them to the point where they're so fed up, they're ready to leave. And you need to go make that relationship right, because if you don't, what will befall you next is worse than anything you've ever been through. If David loses his army, he's going to be destroyed. And the army's ready to leave. Because David is mourning over Absalom and ignoring those who are still here. He's mourning over Absalom and he's not acting like a king. And it's time for him to step up and again... Uh, Pull himself up by his bootstraps, if you will. You know, if you don't go out, no one will stay. It shows the depths of David's offense. Some of these men, again, had been with David through thick and thin. They're David's mighty men. They had won another battle where they were overwhelmingly outnumbered against Absalom. And David's lack of appreciation and mourning for the enemy that he laid down their lives to defeat was about to cost David his army. The word there, speak comfort to your servants. You know, with leadership, there's burdens that come. You know, it's the Bible says, let not many of you be teachers, pastors, because with it comes great accountability. And the reality is, I tell people, people say, how do I know if I'm called to be a pastor? I say, well, if you can do anything else, you're not called. Because if you're called, woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. And you know what? With that calling means sacrifice. It means you're going to give up time. You're going to give up sleep. You're going to give up time with them. You're going to have to make choices to be able to minister to other people. And again, not everyone's called to do that, but every one of us is called to do something. And with that calling, God gifts you and God wants to use you for His kingdom and for His glory. And there are going to be times when God's calling upon your life is going to require that you make sacrifices. You may not be able to go on vacation, you may not be able to do this or that, You you may have to live on less money, whatever it might be, so that you can serve the Lord. And you know what? When you're called to do that, then you need to be faithful to it. David is the king of Israel. He's the king of God's people. He was anointed as a teenager. This is David who slayed a giant. This is David who had the Philistines on the run. This is the David who, when Saul threw spears at him, didn't throw him back. When David had a chance to kill Saul, he didn't kill him. We see David, there's times when he's just such a mighty, spirit-filled man of God, and then we see David the adulterer and the murderer, and now the one who has fallen into this depression and funk and isn't doing what God has called him to do. There's times in ministry where you're going to want to run away and hide. It might be personal struggles that you're facing, perhaps struggling with uh, depression or difficulty. It might be difficulties in your family. It might be difficulties with the people in your church. And again, don't get me wrong, there's times when you need a break. But when you're called to lead, you need to stand, even when no one else will. Can I get an amen? That is why I'm, I am frustrated a little bit. I don't get super political, but I'm frustrated with how many Christians have you know, reached out to me, ripping on uh, us rob anybody who's still having church saying that we're being an ungodly example here's what i would tell you if you're not going to church if you don't think the church is essential if you think you can sit home and just wait this thing out then i want to tell you you're not being a christ-like example because god's called us to be salt and light to a lost and a dying world can i get an amen now if you're sick and you need to stay home we get it if you if you have ailments that will, that will cause you harm then stay home but you know what we need to stand up for the kingdom of god because if we don't stand up nobody else is going to I want to, we need some Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's. Can I get an amen? And we need to be willing to stand no matter what the cost is. And I'm getting frustrated when I have people telling me they're good Christians, but they don't, want to, they don't want to get in trouble. Well, stop it already. Show me the apostles. They were all arrested. Guys, we don't even know what persecution is. And again, we can make a stand for the Lord and still love the people around us, but, keeping the, but shutting down churches and stopping preaching the gospel and stopping fellowship is not God's will. Period. Forsake not to gather yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. Amen? And there are leaders who have already said, we're shutting down church for the next nine months. Really? If, they, if you can go without it for nine months, they don't need you. Why don't you go do something else? Can I get an amen? If you, can't, if you don't want to minister to your people for nine months, if you're going to check out, Lord, help us. We need people who make a stand for the Lord. David needed to make a stand. And David's, Joab came and poked him in the chest. Bro, you need to go do this. And you go talk to your people, you're going to lose your whole army, David. Lord, help us. You know what? You find out where you are spiritually when there's persecution involved. It's easy to be the Christian on the cruise ship. It's one thing to stand for God again when nobody else will. So now what is the king going to do? Is how is he going to respond to Joab's exhortation? Look at verse 8. I like this. Then the king arose and sat in the gate, and they told all the people, there's the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king, for every one of Israel had fled to his tent. See, when David was mourning, when David was covering his ears and covering his eyes and just mourning for his son, he could see no one else. He could hear no one else. And the people were discouraged because their king was nowhere to be found. He was away in hiding. He was weeping and mourning instead of rejoicing over the great victory. And then when David went back to the place where the king belongs, the place where he can be approached, the place where he can give godly counsel. As soon as they saw him in the gate, all the people were encouraged. That's one of the things I love about some of the people who are making a stand for the Lord during this time. There's not a doubt in my mind that because some stand, it encourages others to do it as well. Can I get an amen to that? God bless Pastor Rob. One of my best friends. I love him to death. And you know what? God bless him. Yeah, we're a restraining order. We're having church anyway. If casinos can be open, churches can be open. Can I get an amen? Amen. If 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 there can be writers in the street, then there should be able to have a Bible study inside. If they can burn Bibles in Portland, we can study them here. Amen. And we need to make a stand for that. Now we don't really want to be arrogant. We don't want to be self righteous. We're not, you know, trying to, you know, be. Well, what we want to do is just stand for the things of God. Stand for the Word of God. And here King David, as he finally stands up and goes back to where he's supposed to be, it gives it encourages all the people, and they're looking to David again as their king. So point number one in serving the king of kings, our feelings must never be our master. Number two, the Lord initiates. It's up to us to respond. Look at there, verse 9 and 10. Now all the people were in dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel. The king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, who we, we anointed over us, has died in the battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? So here's what happens. Absalom is coming against David. The people, for the most part, side with Absalom. Bad idea. They side side with the, the king who's not the king. They side with the rebellion. And now the one who rebelled is killed by the true king. So now you would think it's pretty automatic. David was the king. He's been the king. He's been a good king. He's, been, he's led them in battles. He's won war after war. And, and now they're choosing someone else. And now that person dies. So now they don't know what to do. And it says there that some of them are saying to some of the other tribes, why then are you not making him king again? Because there were those that were afraid. They have sided with David's enemy. If we make David the king again, maybe he'll bring retribution against us. Maybe we need to look for somebody else. Here's the good news. Uh, God appoints kings. God sets them up. God takes them down. And David's the king, whether the people want it or not. And we're going to see that David rises back to power. People question whether or not David's their king. Here's a question for all of us. Is Jesus the king of your life? Is he the King of kings and Lord of lords of your life? Is he the priority and passion of your life? Do you follow him above everybody else? Who's on the throne of your life? Is it you? Is it your fleshly desires? Or is it the Lord? And here we see that they don't know who the king is. And then you make a decision about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Again, David could have opposed his will upon those who had not chosen to make him the king yet. David's not going to do that. You know, David is the rightful king. He could have brought his army in and told everybody to sit down, shut up, and submit. Get over it. He didn't do that. You know what he's going to do instead? He's going to try to initiate a relationship with them. Guys, this is a picture of what the king of kings does. The Lord does not, regardless of what the Calvinists think, the Lord does not force himself on you. Amen? The Lord does not make you love him, does not make you serve him, does not put you on the ground and handcuff you and drag you into salvation. No, the Lord initiates a relationship with you. He reaches out to you. He knocks on the door of your heart. Now you must respond. So David's going to do the same. He's going to initiate relationship with these tribes who have turned against him. And now it's going to be up to them to accept or reject David. So it says there in verse 11 and 12. You are my brethren. You are my Oh, verse, oh, sorry, verse eleven. So King David sent to Zadok an avatar, the priest, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back into his house? Since the words of all Israel have come to the king to this very house. You are my brethren, you are my bone, of my, you are my bone and my flesh, why then are you the last to bring the king? So the tribe of Judah is the tribe that David belongs to. It's also the tribe that Jesus is going to belong to. And they're the last ones to invite David back. And David says, you guys are bone of my bone. You guys are my people. So remember the two, he had two priests that he told to stay and to uh, bring mayhem in the, within the council that, was, that were getting from Ahithophel and others. And these are those two priests who had stayed behind to serve David undercover, if you will. And now he's saying to them, can you go and talk to these guys and ask them why they do not want to bring David back? David now encourages the priests again, to talk to the leaders of David's own tribe, uh, the tribe of Judah, and suggest that they make David their king again. And again, keep in mind that the tribe of Judah had been unfaithful to David, and they had chosen Absalom as their king. So while David initiates it, David would not force them to respond and be restored. And Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, initiates restoration with those who have rebelled against him, but he won't force you into a relationship you must choose to respond, so David sends the priest in to try to restore fellowship, verse thirteen and fourteen. Now David's going to reach out, he's not going to remain silent. he's going to reach out to them to try to restore their relationship. Look at verse thirteen and say to Amasa, "Are you not bone of my my bone and my flesh? God did so to me, and more also if you if you are not, God do so to me, and more also, if you do not are not the commander of the army." before me continually in the place of Joab. So he swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah, just as the heart of one man, so that they sent this word to the king, return and all your servants. Here's what David did. He came before them. Now Amasa had left David and served as Absalom's, one of his generals. And now David comes and says to him, look, you are still bone of my bones. and not going to come and bring vengeance against you. And he actually elevates the man who was a general of the army that had fought against him to now serve as his right-hand man ahead of Joab. Now you might wonder, Joab just gave him godly counsel. Why would he kick Joab to the curb? I think I know the answer to that. Who killed Absalom? Joab. And I think David's got a problem. He's lost faith in him. And he's sitting him down to a certain degree. Even though God continued to use him, his choices had broken his relationship with David. You know, in trying to unify the nation after the Civil War, David offers, you know, to make the general of the South, right? If he's the the Union Army. But he didn't force them. It says The the word there is that he swayed them. So he he shared truth with them. He enticed them with the truth. He was trying to draw them back into a relationship with him. But he was not going to force it. He was not going to bring the military in to make it happen. It was going to be up to them to choose whether or not they were going to surrender to the Lord. It may be that David is a bit angry again in his former chief for killing Absalom and he's setting him down. So to bring them back into relationship, he swayed their hearts. But notice what it says there. They all agreed. It was unanimous. And I love that. That all the men who had had concerns before, after David spoke to them, after David shared with them, their hearts were touched and they, they were all unanimous in saying, bring David back. Verse 15. Then the king returned and came to Jordan and Judah Came to Gilgal and to go to meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. Now, they're coming back. They're still not, you know, they're still coming back from the wilderness into, back into the land of promise. So they just crossed over the river, Jordan. They're just now back into the land, and the tribe of Judah had come out to escort David the rest of the way. So here's the good faith. Here they've responded. They're seeing David as the king again, and they come to meet him along the way uh, the king returned notice but notice when the king returned it says the king then the king returned then when after they chose to call him after they chose to receive him David reached out but he would not return until they called for him to come and the same is true for with us. the Lord's not going to come and live in our lives until we respond to his swaying if you will, him draw, reaching out to us and when we re, when we respond to him, then he returns. And even in the life of believers, some can walk away. We used to call it being backslidden or being in rebellion against God. And there are times when those things can happen. So the king returned, but again, only after he had been invited. Now we're going to take a look at a guy that we saw. We talked about Shemai, Shimei. It says there in verse 16, Now Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, who was from Baharim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons and 20 servants were with him and they went over the Jordan before the king. Then a ferry boat went across to carry the king's household and to do what he thought good. Now what's interesting is the last time Shimei saw David, he was raining on him, curses, insults, throwing rocks at him, and I'm thankful that the Bible has the PG version, but it just says he was cursing him. So as he was cursing him, as he was cursing him, it's, it's tragic, but I love that when David wins the battle, Shimei knows he's in trouble, but instead of running from the king, he runs to the king. And guys, that's a lesson for all of us. When you've blown it, don't run from the Lord, run to the Lord. Amen? That's a time for repentance and brokenness, a time for restoration. It's okay guys, you can you get the whole video and you can put it on later if it's not working right now. It's okay. So then the king returned and came. So Shimei shows up, they ferry them across, the ferry boat went across. Shimei was a relative of King Saul of the tribe of Benjamin. Again, he didn't like David. He thought David was getting his just rewards because he had taken the kingdom when they thought Saul was supposed to have the kingdom. And Shimei was just an absolute wreck. Now, I want, to, I want to remind you something, that Abishai, David's nephew, offered to kill uh, Shimei. When Shimei was cursing, he's like, Hey, David, can I just go over there and take that dude's head off? And, and David's like, Bro, no. I've got bigger problems. Just don't, don't worry about it. Dude, really, I can just, it'll take a minute. I'll just go over there. Take care of that guy. Shut him up. I'm tired of hearing his voice. David's like, No. And basically, he says, you know, Maybe God will bless me. Maybe God will use this for His glory at some point. Maybe God will bless me for showing Him, again, kindness. It says in 2 Samuel 16, And David said to Abishai and all his men, all his servants, See how my son who came from my own body seeks my life? How much more may this Benjamite? Let him alone, let him curse, or so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction, and that the Lord will repay me with good for His cursing this day. And now this is that same Shimei who's the first one to greet David. I don't think David expected that. David's on his way back. They're crossing over the Jordan. They, you know, they get on a ferry. They come across. You know, they're in the land. And all of a sudden, the first guy to meet him is the guy that was cussing him out and, and throwing rocks at him and taunting him and mocking him. Shimei knows he's in trouble. He knows his belligerence and his arrogance toward David has left Jerusalem. Uh, as he left Jerusalem, has come back to bite him as David returns as king. But I want you to notice something. David's not really looking for vengeance. It's amazing. I've you know, found this to be true. You know who seeks vengeance? Someone who's insecure. If you know that you are where God's called you to be, it doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what other people think. You leave them in God's hands. And so far, that's what David is going to do. Verse 19. Then he said to the king, "The Shimei, Do not, my Lord, impute iniquity to me? Or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my Lord, the king, left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart? For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come today to all the house of Joseph, to go down and meet my Lord. But Abishai, remember him? What did he want to do last time he saw this guy? Kill him. He hasn't changed his mind. Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered and said, Shall not... Shemiah be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointing. So Shemiah comes, and what we really see here, now, we're going to wonder if this is sincere or not, but again, it's not our job to do that. But if it is sincere, this is what repentance should look like. Notice the first thing he does is he runs to him. He runs to him. He honors the king. He looks at him and says, I know. He comes in humility. He falls on his face before the king. So he was cursing at him and throwing rocks, and now he's on his face. He's lying on his face before the king. And then, not only does he have humility, but he honors the king. I know I deserve to be judged. He doesn't make an excuse for his sin. He can't say, well, someone told me to do it. He comes before him, he's humbled before him, and then he confesses his sin. That's what repentance looks like. We humble ourselves, and then we cry out to the Lord, and we, we don't make excuses for our sins. And then he was honest. He said, for I know that I have sinned. One of three things when you're confronted with sin. Make excuses, accuse others, or repent. And here we have this guy who was an enemy of David, who was a vile human being, and he repents. Guess what? The Apostle Paul was a Saul of Tarsus, enemy of the kingdom of God. He repented, and he was used mightily by the Lord. So Shimei chooses not to make excuses, accuse others, not to run. And you know what? He chooses to repent, And then here it's shown in his actions because he ran to David. Whenever he else would say, remember that guy you cussed at, the guy you threw rocks at, the guy you cursed and you mocked? He's coming back. Run away. That's what most people would do. Shimei, because he has a heart of true repentance, he comes to him. So he came first to David in humility, honoring the king, honest about his sin, seeking forgiveness. He knew he didn't deserve. That's what repentance looks like. You know, real repentance produces an action. And there are times when I, I think about, you know, by the grace of God, I've been able to see a lot of people come to the Lord as a pastor. But there are some that really stand out. I remember when I was a youth pastor in Lancaster, there was this young guy, and the youth group wasn't very big yet. It was pretty small, maybe 30 kids, 25, 30 kids. And there was this one guy who always came that was just too cool for school. And I always thought he was coming because there were pretty girls in the youth group. But he would sit in the back of the room, and at that one, then one night I shared a very you know strong gospel message, and then I said, you know, if you want to get right with Jesus right now, I want you to come down front and just and, and get on your knees and ask God to forgive you. And that guy jumped up out of his chair, ran down front, tears running down his face, got on his knees, and he said, God, it's time that I get right with you. And I'm like, amen and amen to that. Amen. Real, real repentance isn't just, you know, again, raising your hand. That's wonderful. Confess me before men. I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. But it's got to go beyond raising your hand when no one's watching. It needs to be seen in how you live when everyone's watching. Amen? And that's exactly what we see here. Shimei is doing this in front of everybody. The rest of the guys that he mocked, they're standing right there too. He knows it could cost him his life. But praise God, he has here a picture of what we see as a heart of true repentance. So, about Abishai once dead, verse 22, David said, What have I done with you, you sons of Zariah? that you should be adversaries to me today. Shall any man be put to death today in all Israel? For I do not know that today I am the king of, over, of Israel. Don't you know I'm the king? You know what that means? He's not my enemy anymore. I'm his king. He's on our side now. We're all one side. No, I'm not putting him to death. Especially not today. Therefore the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king swore to him. You know what this is a picture of? It's called grace. Can I get an Amen. Does Shimei deserve it? Absolutely. Would it have been, would it make, you know, went after the, the king, he went after the anointed. He could have been put to death and nobody would have blinked. And David instead showed him mercy. So point number three there in serving the king of kings, our feelings must never be our master. The Lord initiates, uh, it, it is up to us to respond. And having a heart of true repentance in Shimei. Now we're going to move on to Mephibosheth. Look what happens here in verse 24. Now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. So Mephibosheth, if you'll remember, he was the man who was Jonathan's son. He was in line to be king. And after Jonathan was dead and Saul was dead, uh, there were those who were trying to make Mephibosheth the king. Now, if you remember, when David became the king, the current family of the king would always flee, because whenever there was a new king, uh, the people, the family members of the old king were in danger. They could be put to death. And so, Mephibosheth was a young boy. We saw it in the text. He was with his nurse, and they were running away, and she dropped him, or he fell, and he became crippled, and he'd been crippled his entire life. Now, David, wanting to, when he became king, and he wanted to bless Jonathan, his dear friend. He'd made a promise to him. He found out, did he have any you know, relatives? So they found Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was brought to David's table. David gave him a, uh, you know, all the inheritance that would have belonged to Jonathan. And he gave it to them, and then he welcomed them into his family. But remember, when David was leaving, Ziba, his, you know, his manservant, if you will, came and told what I believe were lies about Mephibosheth. What he said was, Mephibosheth's not coming. He's deserted you. Absalom's the new king. He wants nothing to do with you, David. But let me ask you a question. Does this sound like this is a guy that's been rejoicing since David left? This is a guy that's been mourning. This is a guy that as soon as David left, he was heartbroken. He stopped taking care of himself. When you're in mourning, they they would throw ashes on themselves. And so here he was, unkept, he looked heartbroken, because as soon as David was gone, his heart was broken. See, when you listen to Ziba alone, that sounds pretty good. That's why you need both sides of the story. But notice Mephibosheth is the the one who comes also to David. And look what it says in verse 25. So it was, when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? Ziba said, You've abandoned me. Why did you not go with me? Well, one of the problems was he was a cripple and he would have needed help, but look what it says here. And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your eyes. Here's what he says. David, I wanted to go with you. My servant deceived you. He told you a lie. But you're a man of God. Do with me as you will. Whatever you think is right, I'm willing to submit to that. Then he says there, For all my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet you set set your servant among those to eat at your own table. Therefore, what right have I to still cry out any more to the king? So the king said to him, Why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said you and Ziba divide the land. Now, I think David here is still not positive who's telling him the truth. Because now he's, First it was all Mephibosheth, then he gave it all to Ziba, and now he's saying you can have half your land. Or maybe he's testing him to see how he would respond. Why is he really coming? Does he just want the land? Now watch Mephibosheth's heart. I love this. Then Mephibosheth said to the king, Rather, let him take it all and as much as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. See, David's, here's what, he, what Mephibosheth saying to David. I don't need any stuff. I'm just glad you're back on the throne where you belong, and that brings peace to my life. And guys, that should be our heart. See, he, Mephibosheth came to David, but he did not come saying, I want my stuff back. He didn't come demanding a, a trial to prove that, he had not, that, that Ziba had been lying. You know what? He was just blessed that the king was back on the throne. And he didn't need anything else because that alone brought enough joy to his life. See, point number four, there is seeking first the kingdom of God. His focus is on God being glorified, not him being comfortable. He came to him not asking for stuff, but blessed to just be in his presence. That should be our relationship with the Lord. Lord, you don't have to give me anything else. Has the Lord already given us enough? What's the answer? He's given us so much more than we deserve. And He doesn't need to give us anything else. He's a faithful God, a gracious God, a merciful God. If He chooses to bless us even more than than praise the Lord. But I'll praise Him if He gives us nothing. Because He's already given us plenty. And I love this heart of Mephibosheth. Point number five. Recognizing all resources belong to the Lord. We're coming to some verses tonight if you haven't noticed. Verse 31. And Barzaliah the Giladite came down from Regalum and went across the Jordan with the king, escort him across the Jordan. Now, Basiliah was a very aged man, 80 years old, and he had provided the king with supplies while they stayed in Mahanaim, for he was a very rich man. So here's this man who has great wealth, but he's also a man that understands that his wealth is not for, you know, just his enjoyment, but to bless others. And that should be our heart. Here's the reality. We may not think we're rich, but when you compare us to the rest of the world, we're all rich in this country. And you know what? We should be those who want to take what God has given us and use it for His glory, not just our comfort. Can I get an amen? And so that's what his, his, his heart is. This man here, his heart is, is to bless others. Barzaliah had seen David, knew he was running. And I want to say this, Barzillai has taken a risk. When you help somebody who's fleeing from the king, you quickly become an enemy of the king, but he did it anyway. And he blessed him, and he gave from what he had to minister to King David. Now watch how David responds when he sees Barzaliah. First of all, he's already seen Shimei. That was a shocker. Didn't expect to see him. Mephibosheth also. I'm not so sure. But Barzaliah is the guy who had blessed him. Mephibosheth, he thought, had deserted him. Shimei had cursed him, and Barzaliah had blessed him. And these are the three men he meets along the way as he's headed back to Jerusalem to be back on the throne. And the king said to Barzaliah, come across with me, and I will provide for you while you are with me in Jerusalem. David wants to bless the guy who blessed him. Isn't that the way it is? When someone else blesses you, don't you want to just bless them back? When somebody ministers to you in a way, in a sacrificial way, don't you want to bless them back? And that's David's heart. When I was running and I was in trouble, you ministered to me. When I didn't know where our food was going to come from to feed those traveling with me, you brought out food for us. You took care of us. You brought us animals to ride on. You prepared us for our battle. And now David wants to return the favor. Now look at Barzaliah, though, and his response. I lo- and again, I love this guy. Uh, I love a lot of things about this guy. And so Barzaliah, look what he says. But Barzaliah says to the king, how long do I have to live? Dude, I'm old. How long do I have to live that I should go up to the, with the king to Jerusalem. Am I today eighty years old? Can I discern between good the good and bad? Can I can your servant taste what I eat or drink? Can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and women? Why then should I your servant be further burned to the Lord my king is a Lord? Look, if you take me up to Jerusalem, I can't tell the difference between what food tastes like anyway. So when you give me good food, that's a waste. Uh, I can't taste anything. I'm old. I can't hear. So when they're having a concert, it's gonna be no good for me. So you know what? Me coming with you, I appreciate the offer. But you know what? How about you take my son instead? See, here's Barzaliah. He ministers to David because he's focused on others. And now when a blessing and a reward comes, he doesn't take it for himself. He gives it to his son. This is a man who puts others in front of himself, who recognizes everything that belongs to him belongs to the Lord and is to be used for for God's glory, not his own comfort. And even the rewards that come to him, he wants to bless others instead of. A blessing himself. Again, I love his heart. He focuses on blessing others, and he's a godly example for all of us to follow. To notice what he says here in verse uh, 36. Your servant will go a little way across the Jordan with the king, and why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant turn back again, that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and mother. But here is your servant, Chimham, let him cross over with my lord, the king, and do for him what seems good to you. Chimham is, as most commentators believe, his son. Now, it has been suggested that David must have given Chimham a piece of property near Bethlehem, which eventually became an inn. The inn was still around in Jeremiah's day. It was on the road that, from Israel to Egypt, and it was the last stop before crossing the desert to go to Egypt. It says in Jeremiah, "...and they departed and dwelt in the habitation of Chimham, which is near Bethlehem, as they went on their way to Egypt. Some have suggested that Joseph and Mary may have even stopped there as they fled from King Herod with baby Jesus on their way to to Egypt." And wouldn't that just make sense? Wouldn't that just make sense that a man who's being faithful, a man who's being generous, a man who's focusing on others and not himself, who earns a reward, he gives it to his son... David blesses his son and gives him a piece of land. He has it in there. And now King David is in a roundabout way blessing the son of David, Jesus, who hundreds of years later would come through that same area as he's fleeing from Herod and stay in the inn, established by the man that that David had blessed. Man, the Bible rocks. Can I get an amen? It is amazing what an act of kindness can do for someone who is hurting and desperate and in trouble. On his deathbed, here's what David said. He left instructions to Solomon regarding Barzaliah. Here's what he said. But show kindness to the sons of Barzaliah the Giladite and let them be among those who eat at your table, for they came to me when I fled Absalom, your brother. Decades later, when David's on his deathbed, he never forgets this kind act that had been done by Barzaliah. When you, do, when you are sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, And you get out of your comfort zone and you go bless somebody else, you have no idea what impact that's going to have on that person or how God's going to use that for His kingdom and His glory. Guys, we need to be sensitive to that. Lord, give me divine appointments. Give me an opportunity to minister to somebody. Look for someone who's hurting. I've shared this story before. It's been years. But I'll never forget, I was uh, back in, it's probably about 91 or 92, and I was... Key account rep here in the valley uh, with the same company I'm with now. Yeah, still there. But uh, I, was, I went on a sales call, and it was really hot outside. It was like 105. It was in Van Nuys. And I'm leaving my appointment late, and I'm supposed to go meet a group of attorneys. And as I'm driving out, I'm really thirsty. So I run into the 7-Eleven to get a super big gulp with a lot of ice and Coca-Cola to drink the rest of the way to see the attorney's. And as I'm running into the store, I'm running late already, but I'm just dying of thirst and I don't want to go into this meeting. There's a guy sitting there on the, on the ground who looks really tore up. And as I run by him, I feel the, the Holy Spirit just kind of giving me that head slap. You need, you need to go talk to that guy. Well, I'm getting in the car and I'm running late for an appointment. I got these five attorneys. I made this appointment a month ago. I can't be late. You know, these guys are sticklers for lateness. I can't be late. So I start backing out. I'm telling the Lord just really... Go talk to that guy. I want you to go. Th- no, nothing audible, just a conviction of the Holy Spirit. So I back my car out, and it's getting stronger. I get all the way to the light, about a block down the street, and now the Holy Spirit's just beating the daylights out of me. So I I flip a Uey I go back. I always keep tracks in the door of my car. So I pull a track out and a dollar, and I walk over to the guy who's he's, now he's standing next to the trash can. He's leaning there. He has a shirt that's more hole than shirt. And, and I, I literally don't leave, turn my engine off. I got my door open. I go, hey, bro, I just want you to know Jesus loves you. You came suffer, suffered died. You might have a eternal life or something for you. God bless you. Have a great day. Because I'm really investing my time in you. I really care about you right now. I got to get this over with so the Lord will let me leave. So I hand this to the guy. And as soon as I do, he falls into my arms. And he just starts weeping. And I notice as I'm holding him up that his skin looked like nothing I'd seen in skin before. And so I started talking to him. And he told me that a couple nights before, he had slept in the wrong place. And another homeless guy had poured lighter fluid on him and set him on fire. So He'd put the fire out. He'd gone and they'd given, put salve on him. And he said, you know, I was sitting across the street behind that building. I had a gun to my head not 10 minutes ago and I was going to kill myself. And I, I said, you know, okay, God, if you're real, then just prove it to me. And I came over here and I sat down outside the door and you got out of your car and told me that Jesus loves me. Guys, it gives me Jesus bumps even now. I was 30 something years ago or 28 years ago, guys, there's divine appointments like that, that I miss. Can I get an amen to that? Often I'm too busy and I don't respond to what the Holy Spirit tells me to do. And I, and I was gripped about it. And you know, what was great. I went back, I I got him involved. There was a church down the road. I I went down to the church. I got him plugged in. I brought him back a bunch of clothes. I gave him some money, got plugged into the church. I do not know what happened to him. Uh, Later, I, you know, I prayed the sinner's prayer with him. I pray that I see him in heaven one day. Guys, we just don't know how the impact we can have on eternity if we'll take our eyes off of ourselves and our agenda and what we want and live every day looking for an opportunity to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? And that's what Barzilliah did. And then I love that Chimham is mentioned all those years later. the king answered, "Shimham shall cross over with me. I will do for him what seems good to you. Now whatever you request of me, I will do for you. Then all the people went over the Jordan and when the king had crossed over, the king kissed Barzaliah and blessed him and returned to his own place. Again, this man's kind gesture had such an impact on David that David was still talking about him many years later on his deathbed. Wanted his family to still be blessed. And again, when we're faithful just to be a tool in the hand of the master we have no idea what an impact we can have on other people finally he must be king all the time not just when it's convenient look at verse beginning there in verse 41 or 40. now the king went to Gilgal and Chimham went on with him and all the people of Judah escorted the king and also half the people of Israel just then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king why have have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king his household and all David's men with him across the Jordan. So all the men of Judah answered to the men of Israel, because the king is a close relative of ours. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have you not eaten at the have you eaten at the king's expense? Or has he given you any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, we have ten shares in the king because they have ten tribes. Therefore, we also have more right to David than you. Why then do you despise us? We... Were, were we not the first to advise bringing back our king? Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. These are the same people that wanted him dead yesterday. They wanted him dead. They were fighting with Absalom. And now David wins the battle and all of a sudden, well, we don't have a king anymore. Well, Absalom's gone. Okay, I guess we'll go back to David. And again, this is what God will do often. When we're focusing on something other than the true king, The Lord loves us enough to sometimes remove the king we're serving so we'll turn our eyes back to the one that we should be serving. Amen? And so Absalom is dead. They don't know what to do. And now they run back to the king. Guys, it's not enough for him to be king just when you're desperate. It's not enough to only cry out to him when there's nowhere else to turn. Guys, he needs to be the king all the time. Amen? So they're quarreling over David And as we'll see in uh, future chapters, uh, this quarreling never stops. Uh, Judah and Israel are going to be at odds with each other until the kingdom's gone, and it's sad, and and it's something that's tragic. And you know, an argument breaks out amongst people who should have you know have claim to David, and it seems you know everyone's a winner. Uh, And just a short time ago, they were trying to kill David and follow Absalom. You know, when there's a civil war amongst people and they're fighting with each other within the same country, that causes damage. Can I get an amen? Are we not seeing that right now? Our country is more divided than it's ever been. The good news is Jesus is still on the throne. He's still a faithful God. So in closing, I told you I was going to tell you, then I told you, so I'll tell you what I told you. So serving the King of Kings, our feelings must not be our master. Again, don't be moved by your feelings. Be moved by the truth and the Word of God. The Lord initiates us. It's up to us to respond. He initiates that contact with us. He reaches out to us. It's up to us to respond. We see here these hearts in these three men. So he had a man who cursed him, a man who he thought abandoned him, and a man who had blessed him. And David ministers to all three. That's a sign of a man who's walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's easy to minister to a guy who's blessed you, but how do you do with someone who's abandoned you, and how do you do with someone who's cursed you? Praise God for David's example for us tonight. Having the heart of true repentance, we saw in Shimei, seeking first the kingdom of God. Mephibosheth didn't want anything from from him, but for him to be on the throne, recognizing that all our resources belong to the Lord, using it for the kingdom of God and His glory. And remember that He must not just be king when you're desperate, but He must be king at all times. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, we praise You, we love You. We thank You for Your Word tonight that is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, we thank You. I want to thank You for the VOS, that we've been able to meet here uh, for since last December or November. And we thank you, Lord, that it was perfect timing because if we had been in the community center, we would have been left out in the cold. And you brought us here for such a time as this. We thank you for the place you've brought us now. Uh, we thank you for Hillcrest. We thank you for their administration and all the people there who are willing to let us share their space for a time. And we're thankful for that. We pray that, Lord... Your word will continue to go forth. It will continue to minister to one another. You will continue to be glorified. And Lord, we look forward to all you have in store for us. So Lord, help us to be the men and women of God you've called us to be. To look to you, our King of kings, the Lord of lords, almighty God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.